It's winter on the calendar and in our little hearts. Evening shadows are coming frightfully early, you've probably noticed, and the wind is blowing damp and cold. Time for sturdy sweaters, another log on the fire, if you have such a thing, a welcoming porch light to guide us home. Every year we begin a new Christian calendar with the reminder that Christ, our King, will come again. No cuddly baby yet or sheep staring into the manger. Today's Lucan text is powerful, apocalyptic. John the baptizer, I baptize you with water, but one who is coming more powerful than I. I am not worthy to even untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. It all feels a bit like the cyclone in The Wizard of Oz. You remember where houses, tumbleweed, and uh, wagons are all circling round and round. In Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, there is a massive world-famous Christ, a 125-foot-tall concrete statue on Corcovado Mountain overlooking Rio. You can picture him. A giant Jesus, arms outstretched. Christ the Redeemer, would it be Cristo Redentor or something like that in Spanish, those of you? I'll have to ask Arnold later. Christ the Redeemer rises into the Rio sky, perhaps the most recognizable Christian image in Latin America. The world's largest Art Deco style sculpture, a sort of globalization of Christ crucified. Christ the Redeemer offers welcoming arms to all who pass through the city. It's an iconic image reproduced everywhere in graffiti art, in sand sculptures on Copacabana Beach, on people's skin, in apparently all kinds of places on their bodies. It's rather like the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor. It stirs debate about what it's actually saying. When the project began in the 1920s, Brazil was almost entirely Catholic. It was a public art project funded through the Catholic Church, not surprisingly. The foundation stone was laid in 1922 to commemorate the centennial of Brazil's independence from Portugal. The statue is considered a bridge between the classical European images of Christ on the cross and more modern styles. No matter where you go in the city of Rio, you can see Jesus standing high above, visible night and day. Brazilians apparently say Jesus sees us. Jesus has his eye on you and on me. For some reason, I always think of this Christ the Redeemer statue when I read the gospel text for this third Sunday of Advent in which we hear the impassioned tones of a town crier in the piercing wake-up call of John the Baptizer, Jesus' advance man. He's the opening gig, the one going ahead to ensure that all runs smoothly. The ancient world spread news via heralds like him. There was no JerusalemNews.com or Galilean record. Many people asked during John's lifetime, and certainly after, if he was the Messiah. 
You know his reply, I baptize you with water, but he who is coming, and so on. The message paraphrase cuts to the chase in its rendering. The real action comes next. The star in this drama, to whom I am a mere stagehand, will change your life. I baptize you here in this river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. God's baptism, a holy baptism by the Spirit, will change you from the inside out. John the baptizer was a rather wild and eccentric preparer for the coming one for whom he clearly felt unworthy to perform even the lowliest service, care of the feet, the sandals, which would have been important at that time. We know very little about John, except for his preference for locusts and wild honey and his camel hair garments. The Gospels, in fact, don't seem all that interested in John's mission itself, but rather in showing that John was the forerunner. At some point, John left his family, grew to manhood in the wilderness of Judea, where he received his prophetic call and began to preach his apocalyptic message. There's little evidence to suggest, say, that John knew Jesus very well, or that they might have even come into contact with one another as little children. There's silence about those things. The discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947 some 972 texts from the Hebrew scriptures and some extra biblical stuff too, has raised the possibility that John the baptizer was brought up in the Dead Sea community of Qumran, a sect within Judaism that lived in the desert along the northwest shore of the Dead Sea, well away from population centers. They practiced an ascetic routine with ritual baths, and they looked for the coming salvation of God. John Baptizer did not bow to popular opinion, nor did he seek an easy life, yet crowds flocked to hear him. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Note the terrible grandeur of this and other bleak synoptic texts. How are we to understand texts like this? We ask this every Advent, don't we? Such literature challenges our interpretive skills. This frightening imagery I read would have been intended originally as a word of comfort for a generation accustomed to such vivid language. But how are we to understand these apocalyptic texts? You brood of vipers, wood thrown into the blaze unquenchable fire. The meaning is not transparent. Symbolic? We cannot necessarily connect this text to specific events, although many have tried, but we need to hear the promise that God intervenes decisively in our history. Its intent is clear. Be vigilant. Be prepared. Get with it. So we take stock. We are often consumed with the worries of this life, like a screen door banging in a gale force wind, such as we experienced yesterday. The roof of our little backyard uh, shed was blown off complete, not the roof, the doors were blown off. Many experienced far worse trauma yesterday, I hear. Trees down, etc. Luke 3 offers specific instructions. Do works of love. Live generously, be honest in your dealings with others. Give thanks. 
if you have two coats or two vaccines and your neighbor in the global south has none, the love of Christ ought rightly to compel us to share. Our world hasn't quite yet figured out how to do that. Transform life from within in small ways. This is no small task. Fear and suspicion seem to be the signature badge of our time. Western culture seems to be in a garrison mentality, battening down the hatches and hanging on. I think of that kid's toy, you know, you stuff the snake back into the can and it keeps popping up again. Our troubled environment, our dear blue marble home, the warning lights of limits have certainly come on. The economy, the price of groceries and everything else. Our rinse, repeat behavior during the pandemic that seems like it's going to be with us for the foreseeable future. Our knucklehead culture in which we live, its parade of dysfunction. An erosion of civic life and private dignity, public dignity too. I'm sad that the internet has become the world's longest bridge under which many trolls live and work. Cyberspace is not human space. Virtual reality has nothing to do with spiritual reality. We all know that. Our world is beginning to feel like a global soup kitchen with yawning disparities between rich and poor. A permanent underclass denied the most basic human comforts. The new trinity of fear, anxiety, stress. We feel bewildered. We cannot even keep up. Welcome, Santa Claus, patron saint of commercialism. How in the world can we live as a community of trust, sharing God's salvation? For people of faith, Advent is a difficult time. We would prefer joy, not waiting, being watchful in the cold and dark. In this age, it's hard to make a convincing case for waiting for anything. Our culture knows debt, deadlines, toys, distractions. For many people, Advent is a difficult time. For some, the sometimes garish Christmas lights and background music, the winking tinsel and shininess can be oppressive. Many experience it to be the loneliest time of year. One writer put it this way, beneath our culture's holiday cheer is a gnawing anxiety, a strange spiritual hunger that this season always uncovers that's why the alternative world of the church during this Advent season is so odd, but so strangely comforting, too, with its somber hymns, its apocalyptic scriptures. We are strangely out of sync with the secular world. And that incongruity reminds us of who we are. It is down in the darkness where we find the light. Yet this is a wondrous time of year as well, with streets like a courier and Ives print Splendidly lit public buildings, the glitter of win windows and wrappings, red and green bows, a Christmas tree dragged through the snow, all those enticing aromas from people's kitchens, a walk in our warm woolen mittens along the starlight country roads, the moon cutting a path to light our way. The Advent miracle of waiting for God's glory has been repeated for hundreds of years, yet it astounds us anew in the telling. That splendid statement from St. Paul, the glory of God is made manifest in the face of Christ. Our God with us, the babe, set in the doorstep of the world 
as Martin Luther put it, our little Jesus in his diapers, our link with the, our corruptible flesh. Advent always begins in the dark. Look straight into the darkness. We name the darkness, we acknowledge it. Otherwise, its message can be false and cheap. Writer G.K. Chesterton said that a peaceful sleep is a sure sign of trust in God. If we're trying to run the world by ourselves, we have a hard time sleeping. We worry, we toss, we turn, we adjust the pillow, we maybe punch the pillow, maybe we get up, have a glass of water. Only when we surrender can we sink into blessed unconsciousness. This day, people of faith around our globe light a third candle in our journey towards mystery. God is coming near. The world into which Christ was born was then, as it is now, fraught with danger, with menace. We observe the commotion in our world. We knock, knock, knock on the door of hope. We must count ourselves among the people who walk in darkness, who await that marvelous light. Perhaps we face a different world than we have known. Evidence suggests that's going to be the case. But we have the same God who was present before all worlds began. We shall not fear we are in God's hands. May we be the signs through which God's grace, healing, and blessing can flow in mercy for our broken world. Do you see God's hope shining over the cowsheds of our world? May it be so. Come, righteous branch, to make justice and peace. <laughs>